Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and joining me today is one of the oldest members of the RW crew, and it's not Byron Lambert. This week on the podcast, we have Mike Band joining us, who's one of the original OGs around here, helps us out uh, behind the scenes with a ton of our tools. You've heard him on the SiriusXM uh, airwaves, talking DFS with us, talking NFL draft. He's an all-around NFL stats, research, numbers, and analytics guy, one of our go-tos for so many of our products at rosterwatch.com. Mike, what the hell's going on, brother? I'm doing well, man. Pretty excited. Uh, the next week is going to be wild in terms of speculation, trying to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, this is as wild of a draft at the top of it as I've ever seen uh, this late in the process. So should have a fun discussion with you and to figure out what the heck might happen. Well, and it, like me and Band, we get on the phone and we get worked into a lather over this thing. We can't, we can't believe it. Like I, this, this, this draft this year, putting together these mock drafts is Mike and I will both. Are, are you putting in one? That, are you are you putting in a mock draft for the whole report this year, Mike? Always, you know. I, yeah. Ever since, uh, I, what, what do we go back to? Two thousand and eight uh, was the first year I ever did it. Came in fourth. Uh, the next year, 2009, I came in first. Uh, humble brag for myself, but I got to give it to it. Uh, let's try to get back to that level of prediction. Let's try to figure out if we can nail uh, at least eight, nine, even ten picks in this top ten. I was I was looking back at last year, and I think the guy that won only got like nine picks right. You know, as far as the team and as far as the uh, as, as far as the player and the team, but I think. For as far as just the players that actually – I think the huddle report actually also grades you on the number of players that you put in the first round. And I think he got like 27 out of 32 uh, players that actually went in the first round. So he ended up winning. I think that was Joe Marino from uh, NDT Scouting. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, hopefully we can uh, get up there. I've never finished well in this huddle report thing. I always, I always, you know, have some kind of some kind of weird ideas that end up getting me sideways for the rest of my draft. And what we're going to be talking about here is sort of the beginnings of this draft because with these mocks, the most important thing to get right is the start of them. Because if you don't get the start right, then every nothing else falls into place. Um, a quick reminder before we do that: if you're not subscribed to the podcast and you enjoy the podcast, please uh, go subscribe wherever it is you listen we are now on google play as well as apple podcasts and stitcher so you can subscribe in those spots and look i look in i looked in apple podcasts this week we got six new ratings and reviews this week six new uh five star ratings and reviews i told you guys last week if we got 10 that we would get two podcasts this week so we didn't quite get to 10 but thank you guys to the uh, five or six of you that uh, gave us new ratings and reviews we made sure to get a podcast up this week because you did if you guys want another podcast next week we're gonna need five or six reviews at least and then uh if you want two podcasts next week we're going to need at least 10 and it's gonna be a big busy week for us because we're gonna be broadcasting live from the nfl draft during the nfl draft on sirius xm fantasy sports radio so if you want to hear live reaction from us during uh day one day two and day three during every single hour of the nfl draft to make sure and tune in there uh sirius 210 xm 87 while the draft is occurring all right so with that being said and the housekeeping done and might be rating of our listener base <laughs> under our belts mike band how do you want to start this thing out brother yeah it's a, a wild start to this draft if we start talking about the first pick we have to figure out what is john dorsey going to do he's got three main options and this is pretty much from a standpoint of, of where you can get the guy that you want to create the most value out of your allotment of picks. So do the Browns like and want Josh Allen? Do they want Sam Darnold? Or do they want to move down to potentially the second pick or move down? uh, Really, that's probably as far as you'd move uh, from one. But based off of the interest in these quarterbacks, it is absolutely fascinating to figure out where these quarterbacks are going to end up we know the teams that are interested in one and the teams that are trying to get get up to get one so to figure out where they are going to be slotted uh is easily the start and the and the bare bones of to figure out the way the top 10 is going to shake out yeah and today so today we had dorsey come out 
and say he's basically said things that made you think that they could make you think that it's going to be Josh Allen. He said that, you know, the big hands is a real big issue. Whenever he talked about big hands, the very thing that he went to next was talking about um, how, you know, you look at a guy like Sam Darnold and, you know, with the, with the turnovers in college, you know, mentioning those big, big hands, maybe kind of putting a seed that maybe he thinks of those two things going hand in hand, no pun intended. Um, but then, you know, he also said that, one, you know, one of the most important things is accuracy and you look at Josh Allen he's had shitty accuracy he's like he, he has he doesn't have any accuracy or touch that to, to, to be seen on any consistent basis and that even goes in, in drills against air at places like the senior bowl places like the combine that guy can be wildly errant and um, we all know that these NFL types especially these stodgy old NFL types the John Dorsey's of the world the football men the anti-Sashi you know the sort of wave of resistance that's come in um uh, against what wasn't a really analytically driven organization in the Browns. It actually has these guys set up with a bunch of really good picks. Now you have the football man, John Dorsey, and, and whenever you have these guys, these are often, you know, like, well, you know, this guy's got the bright size. He looks like a young Joe Montana. We can teach him the, you know, the, the, the timing and the rhythm and the touch and the accuracy. I'm not sure that you always can, but I can't put it out of my mind that, I mean, Mike Mayock keeps mocking Josh Allen to the, to the Browns. Mike Mayock is at every pro day that we've ever been to. That guy's a grinder. He, he has, he has good Intel. Uh, you have, you know, you have guys like, uh, Mel Kuyper and you know, McShay and all these other ones. It's, it's been Josh Allen going first overall to these guys. And, it's just an, it's an interesting dynamic. I'm still of the belief that Sam Darnold is just so obviously better than Josh Allen from a pure evaluation standpoint that Cleveland would be crazy not to take him. So in my current mock, I still have Sam Darnold as the first pick to the Cleveland Browns. With that being said, I could easily be wrong. It could be Josh Allen, and from there, that shakes up the whole rest of the thing because then you have New York. What do they do? Do they take Sam Darnold? Mike, is, is, let's just say in a world where Josh Allen – let's just say for the sake of conversation for, for this little vertical, right? Let's just say that Josh Allen goes first. What happens then with the New York Giants – do the, is there real interest from Dave Gettleman? What he said, the only quarterback that we, or the the rumors from people close to that team, the only quarterback that they would take. Um, I believe it was one of their better, one of their better reporters up there. Um, what's his name? Jordan Farrar or something like that. Um, one of the giant, one of the guys on the Giants beat. I forget his name, but one of their better reporters says that you know it's. It, it's very clear from, from sources around the organization that the quarterback they would take would only be Darnold if, if, if he fell. Now, we know that Gettleman's the king of the smoke screen and the king of the misinformation and the leaks. Do you think that's true? Or do you think, as you and I have, might have discussed offline, that's just Gettleman saying that if that does happen, I'm driving up the value of, of that pick as much as I possibly can. I think that's the answer right there. I think it's very very realistic that the Giants have Sam Darnold atop their board. I think that it, both cases can be true. I think the Giants can like Sam Darnold a lot and believe that he could be a, a, a future franchise signal caller. But at the same time, I, I from a, a standpoint of a new front office, a new coach and Pat Shermer, they might give Eli Manning the – the, the reins for at least a year or two. And that doesn't really require you to, to draft his successor now in such a, a, a changing league that where, where who knows what quarterback in, in the market is going to be two years from now when, when you think Eli Manning's true cliff is going to come. And so it doesn't necessarily put you in a situation where you have to take one like some of these other teams. Now, what does that do? Well, we've heard Gettleman from day one at the Combine when, uh, when pressers started and you got to talk to these general managers and hear their initial ideas and their plans. And Gettleman stressed, we are very open to moving out of number two. 
putting together the idea that now Sam Darnold could be available with the second pick and the likelihood that if the Giants have Sam Darnold atop their board, then I bet, or Gettleman bets, that Sam Darnold is atop the boards of other teams that are quarterback needy. And it could essentially be a setup to drive the value of the first overall or the second overall pick with Sam Darnold on the board so that Gettleman can sell the pick to his buddy, to his former confidant, Brandon Bean, and the Buffalo Bills with the second pick. So you've got to consider what the Bills are doing with 12 and 21 as ammo to move up into the top five, top six picks to get their guy. From all indications, Buffalo has great interest in Sam Darnold. We know that on April 9th, they flew out, not only their, not only the general manager, not only the head coach, they flew out the owner, uh, Kim uh, uh, Pagula, to go work out Sam Darnold. Now, we know that they did uh, give a work, private workout to Josh Allen back in, in late March. It's very limited in terms of reporting, but uh, one of the USA Today reporters did say uh, that the Bills have reached out and, and tried and, and worked out Josh Allen. So they definitely can and ha- show they have shown interest in him as well. But if you're the Bills and you believe that Darnold is the guy, getting up to two or even calling Cleveland to see if you can get up to one, pay an extra premium to ensure that you get Darnold because you don't know if, if, if the Browns are truly going to take Josh Allen one. So that's the, the, that's the type of trade calls that are going around right now. And we know based off of Gettleman's conversations, or at least from his relationship with Brandon Bean, that they've got to be on the phone. They've got to be talking scenarios and they've got to be saying, if Darnold's on the board, we're willing to move out. But from Gettleman's standpoint, going back even further to some of his quotes, he believes that there's a, they've got a chance at drafting a potential Hall of Fame player in the top two picks or at number two. So if you can figure out that you know that the Jets are taking a quarterback, that if you move down to the fourth pick and get Cleveland involved so that, you, so that they can move from, uh, from one to two, ensure that they get their guy, knowing that Buffalo moves up to two, but the Giants won't move down further than four, all the way down to 12. Now we get into this radical idea of a three-team trade where it's unlike anything we've ever seen, but at the same time, that's the stuff, that's the type of discussions that are going on now. And we'll know before, I would say Wednesday, whether or not those trade talks are real. The smoke is there. This is not just coming from a Reddit post. This is coming directly from high-end sources. You've got guys in various different places, Monday morning quarterback and Peter King. You've got Daniel Jeremiah at the NFL Network, both reporting the same thing, a three-team deal that moves around Cleveland, the Giants, and the Bills at 1, 2, and 11 could happen, and it could net the Bills, Sam Darnold, the Browns, uh, Josh Allen, and the Giants can still get Saquon Barkley with the fourth pick. So but it would be a 1, 2, and 12, right? One, two, and twelve, because the bill the Bills' current pick is twelve, and then but I think pick eleven would be involved. Basically, at the, right, right. Excuse the me, picks 12, that are going to be twelve. Like, would you go over the picks that would be involved, and just yes. kind of how this would work? The Giants would have to move down from two to four. Yes. Buffalo moves down, moves up from twelve to one, and Cleveland moves. D- moves down from one to two. one to two. That would that would mean that Buffalo's Hall of Picks, which would include 12, 21, their second rounder, next year's first rounder, a pro- and probably at least one or two more picks, so six picks in total, to make this move, and that Hold would on, be split. Wait, you think Cleveland's going to need to get, or you think Buffalo's going to need to give up not only 12, what else do they need to give up to Cleveland? They'd have to give up 12, 21, next year's first, likely Ooh. a second this year, and, an, and at least one to two more picks, at least. And that is for a chain of reaction to, for the Giants to not move down past four. They would get Cleveland's fourth pick, and then the Browns would essentially get two, 12, 21, or that 21 might go to the Giants, and the Browns might get 
next year's first from the Bills. The point is, is that you can make that deal happen if Buffalo's willing to pay a King's ransom. And that would get split between Cleveland and the Giants, and the Giants would only get a small fraction of that to move down from two to four to get Saquon Barkley, who they would have taken at two regardless. Yeah, and you know that Gettleman's going to want to just pick up a little bit of something extra for moving down those two spots. And the reason you feel like they can move down those two spots is I think you and I are in lockstep with the fact that it's really looking like Baker Mayfield's going to go to the Jets at there at three. Those guys are going to sit tight and not be part of any of these discussions, I don't think. What is your thinking behind Baker Mayfield to the Jets? Uh, why, are you, why are you linking him there and why are you confident about it? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is a connection based off of Figuring out who the Jets moved up for when they moved up from six to three, uh, a little after, uh, a little bit after free agency started in March, knowing that they had two targets, and and that's probably a, a critical point of this. Most teams wouldn't move up unless they had a single target, but in order to move up to three, you have to know that one of two guys is going to be there uh, that don't go one or two, and from all indications. The belief for a long time was that Sam Darnold was going to be the first pick. That means that the Jets likely moved up to get their number two guy on the board, Baker Mayfield. So granted, if Sam Darnold is on the board, if Josh Allen goes one and Saquon Barkley goes two, I say I would suggest that the Jets would strongly consider taking Sam Darnold. And they're definitely talking about that now. But from all indications, the most the highest level of interest in Baker Mayfield is the New York Jets. There's an awesome uh, interview with Charlie Casserly on Up to the Minute, I believe, that aired right after the Combine. And he was discussing Baker Mayfield and his upside. And he listed a scouting report. He described a scouting report. This, he, he claimed it was directly from an NFL team picking in the top 10. And it was his character evaluation of Baker Mayfield. It was adjectives that suggested it was a leader, a fiery attitude, guys, uh, a guy that guys gravitate to. Basically commending the guy from a, a, a grab the franchise by the horns and lead them as winners. Going back to where Charlie Casserly was with the Washington Redskins, it's 1990. Who did he hire as an intern in 1990? The Jets general manager, Mike, Mike McCagnan. Who is with Charlie Casserly for 20 years? Mike McCagnan. Who did Charlie say that uh, teams that would have interest in Baker Mayfield? The first team he listed, the Jets. This is back in early March before the trade was ever made. I believe that 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 indication suggests that based off of what the Jets believe, Baker Mayfield will be there at three and he is their guy that they covet and the reason why they moved all those picks to get up to number three so early in the draft process. Just Jets fans are just jumping up and down over this. Baker Mayfield would be a star there in New York. Uh, who knows if he pans out? I think he will, but uh, just such a better scenario for Jets fans to end up with a Baker Mayfield on that football team than a Josh Allen. Um, okay, so if we're, not, if we're still kind of talking about what would happen – in the, for the sake of this three-way trade, now we have, after Baker Mayfield, we have the Giants. Gettleman slides down uh, only two spots. He still gets the guy who he thinks is the Hall of Fame addition in Saquon Barkley. Uh, he just gets him at four instead of two, knowing that with the Jets are certainly going to go quarterback there. Even though, do you think Gettleman gets a little bit worried? Does he need to talk to McCagnan and say, look, Saquon Barkley's dad has a Jets tattoo. That's his favorite team growing up. Like, you guys aren't taking this guy, are you? I can't I mean, imagine. Can he be sure? It, it would just be too much of a of a investment from draft capital uh, to even warrant the fact that you'd be make now making him instead of the sixth pick where you maybe could have gotten him to the third pick where you now have to pay him top five running back money already. I, I just I can't imagine from a a, a draft capital and cap real uh, a cap number implications that that's a smart move they wouldn't have moved up from six to three for saquon barkley there's it, a million reasons why it doesn't make sense it's it's i mean both mccown and bridgewater are both on under basically theoretically one-year deals one-year deals Brid right. and and so therefore we know that there's going to be a new fresh rookie quarterback uh, that's going to be in that room with those guys. And it's going to be between McCown and Bridgewater to see who earns the backup job. And I wouldn't 
be surprised to see one of them on the streets uh, come uh, the end of uh, end of August, early September. After the uh, Jets pick, it comes back to, like I said, the Giants in the scenario of this three-way trade. Then up comes the Denver Broncos, who clearly have a quarterback need. Um, I don't, I don't know if at this point how interested they would be in a Josh Rosen. Um, you have Case Keenum, who they who they brought in this year. You know they've they obviously have some needs along the offensive line. They've done a little bit there along the offensive line. I believe that they brought in during the offseason, they brought in Donald Stevenson, who sucks, but they also brought in Gerald Valdir, who kind of is getting old, but um, he is, you know, he's a guy who is going to at least be better than Menelik Watson was last year over there at the left side. They have their guy of the future and, and Garrett Bowles. They're starting to kind of build that offensive line. But boy, what an addition Quentin Nelson would be to that. I just don't know if Elway's, you know, we keep hearing that Elway is interested in um, Denzel Ward. You keep on hearing, the, you know, Denzel Ward, the corner, mocked to the um, mocked to the Broncos, maybe in a, a attempt to kind of uh, backfill that posi- that void uh, left by uh, Akib Talib moving on. And then you also hear a whole bunch of connection with. Um, with Will Hernandez because of uh, what's I forget the coach uh, coach coach was it Coach Kugel from down there at UTEP who's the new centers and guards coach there for the uh, Broncos that you know for the Broncos Will Hernandez's college coach is there and so for me when I think about if there's a uh, you know if if this if this draft were to fall into a situation where we get a trade up. So let's say none of these trades occur that we were just talking about, and we just go chalk at the beginning with the Browns taking either Darnold or Josh Allen, and then the Giants taking Saquon Barkley, the Jets taking Mayfield, the Browns maybe going with a Chubb or something like that, a Bradley Chubb. Then we get to the Broncos. I've always thought that a trade down for the picks 12 and 22 with the Bills, if, if, if the Bills wanted to get up there, and pick up one of those uh, one of those quarterbacks that's still left available after the first two, that could be something interesting. But the situation we're talking about right now, Josh Rosen is still available. Do you think that the Broncos at this point in time are still looking to possibly trade down in this three team trade scenario? And if so, who? What kind of trade partner? Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, from a perspective of what is John Elway's plan for the Broncos, uh, my guess is, and a lot of, you know, I'd say half the mock drafts have this, I do not believe that the Broncos are going to target a quarterback, uh, no matter what, with the fifth pick. I think based off of their investment in Case Keenum, they're, they gave him $15 million this year, $21 million next year, and to cut them, you, you've, you've got $10 million in dead money. So I Case Keenum's going to be given every chance to to really take this franchise uh with a with a well-built and, and at least somewhat talented uh defense to a point where they're in a win now situation. And what does that mean? Well, it means that you've got to build up your weaknesses and where they are weak is just like you said along the offensive line. Uh, they feel good about Garrett Bowles, but I from, a, from the perspective of investment in the offensive line, uh, that's going to be key. So no matter what, building up and getting draft capital, if you can trade out of the fifth pick, uh, would net you that ability to build and double dip into certain positions. Buffalo, just like you said, will have great interest in the fifth pick if they don't move up to two or they don't move up to four. And one of those guys, either Josh Allen or maybe even Josh Rosen, are there at five for the uh, the Bills would certainly be interested. Here's a trade that I think is even more likely than that. And given the three the way that the three team deal goes, I think in some form you you will likely see those four guys off the board. Whether it's it's Darnold, Allen, uh, Barkley, and Mayfield. Well, that also leaves Bradley Chubb. So. Denver will be in discussion whether or not they need to add yeah, one I mean, of the premier pass right. rushers in the draft 
from a perspective of that's the guy, that's the best guy on the board, and we can get well, a blue pass rusher. Well, well, and what do you think of that? So, from all indications, uh, and, and this is actually reported by Albert, uh, I believe Peter King, uh, a few days ago, uh, that Elway. He talked to Elway or someone connected to Elway said he doesn't expect Bradley Chubb to be there at five, um, which makes me believe that in the more likely scenario of no trade happening and and uh, and Darnold one, Barkley two, Mayfield three, I guess Chubb four to Chubb Cleveland four. in that yeah. event. Mm-hmm. That's the situ- that's the scenario that Elway might believe uh, is the most likely to fall before his pick. And what would that do? That would leave Allen and Rosen on the board for a team like Buffalo or a team like Miami to be able to move up and, and take their guy. Now, let me talk about this Miami trade-up uh, uh, scenario because I believe it could be inevitable. The Broncos and <laughs> Dolphins are well-connected. You've got John Elway, you've got Dan Marino, who are, have had a close relationship since their playing days. We, we see it every year at the Senior Bowl. Those guys are inseparable uh, during practices. They're all always talking. Those relationships matter when it comes to dealing uh, around the draft because you've got to be able to talk quickly. You've got to be able to work with another team. You've got to be able to plan before the draft for these gotta, types of scenarios. And, 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 and you've got to trust that the information that you're, that you're going back and forth with, you're, like it's got to be one of your boys who's not going to swindle you with this info. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so let's what happened a week ago. This is it's kind of got swept under the rug, but there was a deal in place between the Broncos and Dolphins that sent CJ Anderson to the Dolphins for right tackle Juwan James. The deal got nixed by the Dolphins in the last minute. The Broncos ended up releasing CJ Anderson. What does that mean? Well, it certainly means that Denver wants to upgrade at the right tackle position. They've believed that they need a, a, a clear cut starter. And they obviously want to upgrade at the offensive line. Well, it also means that those trade talks can still be happening based off of moving up from 11 to 5. What Adam Beasley, the, uh, the beat reporter for the Dolphins, said yesterday, and I retweeted it, the Dolphins believe they have enough draft capital to move up into the top six picks. What does that mean? Well, it tells me that they're already making those calls to get up to number five or number six with Denver or, De- uh, or Indianapolis. So what does this mean? Well, if Josh Rosen's on the board with the fifth pick, that the Dolphins could be interested in sending their first pick, number 11, next year's first round pick, and Jawan James, and it might take a, a, a few, potentially something else, but realistically from the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, that might be enough to make that move. The Dolphins get their, uh, their future quarterback that really, I think is a good fit for, for the organization. You know, a, would, a lot of people who, would, who, who would be Josh Rosen, right? Josh, Josh Rosen. Rosen. Yeah. Exactly. So Josh Rosen as a fit to Miami would, would certainly be, would certainly fit into the plans of Denver wanting to move out and move down to number 11 to take potentially a Denzel Ward who could be there at 11 or to take another offensive lineman, like a, a, a if you want to reach on a Will, Will Hernandez, it, it, they could go a lot of different ways. Maybe a Minka Fitzpatrick to shore up uh, their secondary uh, from for Talib. My point is, is that if Denver doesn't believe that they have a guy at five and there's two quarterbacks on the board, they don't have to go quarterback and they can move down to 11 or 12. Miami and Buffalo are the two optimal teams that are looking to move up for their guy. Okay, so yeah, and that all makes perfect sense. And I'm I'm with you. I love the idea of Josh Rosen in Miami. We've heard the reports that behind the scenes, um, Adam Gaze is kind of smitten with a Josh Rosen. I think those two guys are kind of they're just they're kind of similar with their kind of deadpan styles and uh, kind of the way that they interact, you know, with others around them. I don't think that I don't think that Adam Gaze is the kind of um, the kind of coach that's going to be incapable, as Jim Moore has talked about, it's going to take a certain kind of coach to get the best out of him. I personally think that Adam Gase is the kind of coach that's going to put as much on his quarterback's plate as that quarterback is physically capable of um, of, of, of handling within, within their brain and uh, within every bit of their conscious. And so I think that he's a guy that can probably get the most out of Josh Rosen. You've talked about how culturally uh, you think he'd be a fit down there in Miami. So I really, I really like it. To me, it's just a matter of whether they would have to trade up to do it, or whether, I mean, whether he could just fall. Because I mean, if you look at the, if you look at everything after Denver, between Denver and Miami, it's Indianapolis. Who, if Andrew Luck isn't 
I mean, Andrew Luck still isn't throwing the Duke or whatever, whatever he called the football. But so, you know, they still have him and Jacoby Brissett. You have the Bucks who have Jameis. You have the Bears who traded up for Mitchell Trubisky. You have the 49ers who are paying who knows how many, what, $40 million, $40 million of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's contract this year. And the Oakland Raiders who have Derek Carr. Uh, so they could think that maybe this guy falls to us. The only issue with that is now you worry if there's a team behind you that covets your guy, whether they're going to trade up to one of those spots to get him. Um, and which is, which is certainly a concern. We've heard that there are other teams ranging from even like the Patriots could have interest in a Josh Rosen. Now, all of a sudden after the Brandon cooks trade, they have the ammo to maybe go up and get him. So yeah, very interesting thought that there could be that possible trade there, not only with the Buffalo bills, but even in this three team trade scenario, we could see a, a secondary trade occur uh, with Den- with the Denver Broncos, with the Miami Dolphins moving up there to that spot. I think in the non-three trade, three-way trade scenario, the trade that I think is most likely is Buffalo moving up to five, just with those two picks, twelve and twenty-one. It seems like such an easy two picks to get Denzel Ward and Will Hernandez with, and I think I that th- could be what Elway's thinking. I think that's exactly reasonable, and I think. Uh, uh even now, just to talk trades in, few, in 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 previous NFL draft years, it would have been far fetched to to propose these types of things. But these really are realistic. We've never seen this this amount of of supply meets demand, but teams being all over the board and and trying to in any which way build up the capital to make moves like this. Buffalo's got two firsts. New England's got two firsts. Miami needs to uh, uh, move up for a quarterback or, or, or they might feel that they might need to move up for a quarterback if the value is right. And, and they certainly have shown the, the willingness to trade their uh, above average red right tackle in Jawan James. Uh, so all those pieces can be moved on draft day. And, and those are the types of talks that are happening right now. And what that would mean, it, let's just say that this three-team deal goes down. Let's say that Miami moves up to Denver. That would mean that all of the top six picks would have been traded by the original team that dra- that had it, uh, which would be a, uh, I, I would bet, a, a first, um, which needs a little research, which uh, – I could do it at a later date, but to see all six teams moving around in the top six picks uh, is not just a pipe dream. It's possible. After that, after so after we look at what happens with Denver's fifth pick, if if Denver stands, is what what are the chances that Denver stands pat at five? I think they're so slim. I, I mean. There's no, I'm not going to make a mock with, with Denver standing pad. I think no matter what the scenario is, I think there's going to be a way for them to get out. Exactly right. Uh, if Josh Allen's there, Buffalo's going to be interested. And if Josh Rosen's the last quarterback remaining, then Miami's going to be interested. And you could see a wild card team, uh, just as we just said, like Buff, like uh, the, the Patriots, the Cardinals, and those teams moving up. Uh, so from Denver, they've got to decide if – they could certainly go and, and take a, a premier offensive guard and shore up the offensive line like Quentin Nelson. Uh, you know, they could stand pat. And if Bradley Chubb's on the board, they got to, you, you know, you know that they value those premium positions high up early in the draft, even when they have a guy. Uh, they like multiple. They like double dipping. Uh, so from that perspective, Denver could stay there, but they are my most likely to move out no matter what from the fifth pick. Completely agreed. So, uh, where does that leave us with the Colts picking it, picking at six? You know that Chris Ballard says that his phone is open. He is, uh, you know, he's hoping to move down even even more. Uh, the the Indianapolis Colts, of course, have moved down from pick three to pick six and, and picked up a good grip of picks along with it. But he'd like to pick up more. They have a complete roster rebuild to do. Uh, they're they're in Indy. Where, where do you you know where do you see them going? Yeah, I could certainly see them staying pat if a guy like Bradley Chubb 
is on the board. And uh, in the event that four quarterbacks go in the top five picks and we assume that Saquon Barkley is the fifth player taken in those top five picks, then Bradley Chubb would be there uh, with that sixth pick. Uh, in that event, and I don't believe that the that the Colts would pass up on it. You know, they they already extracted a ton of value moving down from three to six earlier in the process. I guarantee, just like you just said, they are fielding calls to move down even further. And this could be another situation where Miami moves up for Josh Rosen, or another team moves up for Josh Rosen. Uh, so there certainly are those situations where uh, Indy could trade down out of this pick. Uh, for my guess, I would say if Bradley Chubb's on the board, that's the route they go. We do know that they covet Roquan Smith. I'm not saying it's not possible, but it would be possible, potentially a little steep to take him at six. But don't be surprised if it happens. If Bradley Chubb's off the board, Roquan Smith, they might believe, is a defensive game changer uh, for them, a guy that can lead from the middle and make all the calls uh, and, and really start the rebuild that this team desperately needs. They got, uh, I guess, John John Bostic is now out of there. So, yeah, uh, definite need there at the definite need there at the linebacker position. And Roquan Smith just brings so much sideline to sideline speed. I'd love to see him on that fast track there in Indy. It's a little bit, a little bit. A lot of people would say it's a little bit early for some, for a player that somebody thinks is a little. Some people think is a little bit undersized, but I, I think it. I think it would make a ton of sense. Like we said, if Chubb was off the board, if Chubb was there, I think you got to go with him. Um, I think you and I, you know, at seven, I think you and I both agree about what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should do, regardless of, you know, whether or not these trades occur. That is, go with Derwin James, the, uh, the safety slash, you know, possible nickel corner out of Florida State. To me, I mean, it's, it's almost just as much narrative-based as it is based on any sort of scheme fit, although it seems like it would be a really good one. Um, but they've just they've had success going there to Florida State. They listened to Jameis. Um, you know, Jameis told them to draft Robert Aguayo, and they did stupidly. You know, they 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 listened to what Jameis says, and from everything you could tell, and I've heard interviews with Derwin James. I've heard him interviewed on uh, PFTPM and uh, different podcasts. I've seen him on NFL Network. Um, it n- never got to. Um, Never got to see him uh, live in any kind of pro day setting or anything like that, but I've definitely heard him talk and stuff like the combine and everything. That guy's a dude who's going to come in and be an immediate leader on your defense. Like I said, kind of like a Jameis of the defense, a real tone setter, and I just think it would be an incredibly an, an incredibly good fit there. Derwin James going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know you're kind of in agreement with me on that. Is that definitely how you see it, or is there other ways you could see them going? No, I definitely think that's the route that they go, uh, or, or definitely think that that's the route that they're considering. Even uh, even with Quentin Nelson still on the board, because that offensive line could use help, and Quentin Nelson is a, I mean, I think he's a, do you like Quentin Nelson? I think he's a surefire prospect. Absolutely, and, and they're certainly in those discussions right now, but at the same time, it's two non-premium positions. It's a guard and a safety that you're debating between. Uh, I think from the standpoint of, of their off-season activity, they signed Ryan Jensen from Baltimore. He'll probably be their starter at center, uh, and they've got Ali Marpet, who's going to be a, a, a pretty long-term guy at right guard. He's good. He's good. Who's got the ability to move inside and place center if you need it. Uh, but at left guard, you've certainly got problems. They've got Aaron Dietrich Smith. I don't think he's played a ton uh, over the past couple of years since they signed him. Uh, point is, is that they could easily look to to bring in a left guard uh, to upgrade and, and and really get the top guy on the board. But at the same time, this is a team that did not make a single move uh, in the secondary. They've got a uh, aging Brent Grimes, a uh, a. a questionable uh, you don't know what you have with Vernon Hargraves uh, after investing a top uh, you know first round pick and and kind of being disappointed in his first couple seasons uh, and that safety you still have got the rotation of Chris Condi and Keith Tandy to, to part with uh, Justin Evans who they hit on last year as a free safety so what's their need what's their biggest need well it's a presence at strong safety. Uh, Derwin James kind of fits that role. He can also play inside and play nickel. Um, and there's certainly reason if you can get past some of the, t- uh, the injury concerns you have on him, there's 
very good reason to have him from a tools standpoint graded as a very high player and worthy of this seventh pick. Uh, and that's the key. These teams are still sticking to their boards. There's a little bit of effect based off of need and, and value and, and, that, and those sort of things. But there's every reason to believe Derwin James can be graded by a team that high to warrant the seventh pick, even though safeties rarely go uh, in these top seven. Uh, so in my mind, connecting the Florida State connection uh, and Jameis pounding the table for him, I think that's definitely re- a reasonable reason. Uh, it's not far-fetched to say that their franchise quarterback doesn't have some semblance of, of sway uh, to to this coaching staff, and if they believe, and, and if those two beliefs align, Derwin James could be the chalkiest pick because this really is his ceiling. Uh, so Derwin James going seven to Tampa will likely be in most mock drafts, and I'm sticking with it as well. And I, I think the, the the other thing that we should mention is you know with the Quentin Nelson talk, this is we're obviously getting into real Quentin Nelsony territory here. Um, I think anywhere from, I mean, I think some people might even mock him to the Denver Broncos at five. I'm I'm not going to, but certainly the Colts. I think the Colts are an option if they do get word that Andrew Luck is going to be back and he's going to be healthy. They need to they need to repair for the sins of Ryan Grigson and do everything you can to protect that guy. You need to give him, you know, and I, I know he's not a center, but you need to give him his his own Jeff Saturday, you know, his own presence along that offensive line that can go on to be a pro bowler many times over. So I do think that uh, Quentin Nelson could be in play there at six as well as seven. I know at eight, if he gets to the Chicago Bears, Quentin Nelson's gone. There's just too many connections. That's his old uh, offensive line coach. It's the new offensive line coach there in Chicago. It's a it's um, it's a position of need for those guys. What do you think? Absolutely. So uh, this is definitely the Quentin Nelson range. Just like you said, he can go as high as five, and I don't think he drops below eight. Uh, but when you look at guards, the the position value, they're not necessarily the most coveted uh, position when you're looking to build around a team, especially the investment that you make when you're paying him uh, eighth overall dollars. So you got to know that this is the guy. And from all accounts, from his report, from just from the film, from everything that you know about this guy, Quentin Nelson is a potential and has the ability to be an all pro player. Uh, and at number eight with the Bears, with the need at guard, uh, with the coach now in Chicago uh, that uh, uh, it just makes too much sense if he's on the board at eight for Chicago. Is 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 there even anybody else if it falls like this? Sure. I think yeah. it's, I mean, I don't even know. Like, if it falls like this, where Quentin Nelson gets there, I'm not. Sure. I mean, you just you got to take the guy. I think that you know they have a linebacker need clearly. So if Quentin Nelson is taken earlier and he's not available, I mean, Roquan Smith could come into play. I also think that Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech could come into play. And he's a guy who is only 19. I think he's about going to turn 20 at some point before the season. But from a, just a, from, from a tools and from just a raw kind of talent perspective, that's a guy who in a Matt Nagy offense that – has really done a lot this offseason uh, through free agency to get as many possible tools around um, Mitchell Trubisky as possible. You've done a whole lot on the offensive side of the football uh, in the in recent years, You know, adding the Jordan Howards, adding the Tariq Cohens. You go out and you add the Allen Robinsons in free agency. You add the Taylor Gabriels in free agency. You've spent first-round capital on a Kevin White who they're hoping to have some kind of miracle resurgence out of. If you get a truly special player in the middle of that defense that can grow into that defense and kind of grow into you know growing to be a leader to maybe make that defense some kind of monsters in the midway again I think a guy like Tremaine Edmonds is a, is a terrific piece to possibly build around yep great point and that's definitely a target especially if Quentin Nelson is off the board there at eight um, I know uh, f- just from understanding of the way that uh, the sh- that Vic Fangio's defense kind of employs their uh, multi-dimensional linebackers or, or multi, multi-dimensional front seven uh, really 
being multiple is, is important, and that could be a reason why Terrell Edmonds is ahead of Roquan Smith on Chicago's draft board. Um, I, I don't like to reference the differences between a 4-3 and 3-4 uh, front just, anymore. because It doesn't team, really matter anymore. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Teams are running nickel 60-70% of the time. 3-4 uh, fronts are just uh, outside edge rushers uh, standing up, and Granted, the depending on the, the inside alignment, uh, you know, different teams are going to demand different types of of interior uh, defensive tackles, and that certainly uh, can be addressed in that position. But from a linebacker standpoint, being multiple is key. Uh, Terrell Edmonds definitely fits that build. You know, they they lost or they released Pernell McPhee, they released Jarrell Freeman, they still have Danny Trevathan there uh, to man the middle. Uh, so a guy like Edmonds who can play Sam. Uh, in a traditional front and also, you know, move and play dime linebacker, I think would definitely be uh, something that would have Chicago interested if Quentin Nelson's off the board at eight. Yeah, and I think, you you know, you just – he's just – I'm just like looking at the arm length and the hand. He just has more – he just has a little bit more length and he's just bigger, you know, just a bigger guy. You can probably, you know, he just seems like – he, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a different kind of cat than uh, Roquan Smith. It, you know, I mean, literally, I'm trying to look at the exact weights from the combine, but we're looking at 236 pounds versus 254 pounds, and then with the height, we're looking at just over six feet versus you know six foot four and a half. So, um, a different kind of player there. Both very good. It's just kind of what what flavor of player that you're looking for, and I think with all the help that the Bears can use on defense and all of the tools that a Tremaine Edmonds brings with him I think that that's probably the way I would go if I if if I were those guys okay so um, we've gone through there and like I've said earlier whenever we're looking at these it doesn't really matter to us that there has been the um, whether or not we're talking about the three-way trade here whether we're just talking about Buffalo trading out at least for these next couple of picks next is the San Francisco 49ers I think if the if, if a Roquan Smith or a Tremaine Edmonds falls here both of those guys would be uh, perfectly uh, perfectly reasonable for them I think that they could also look DB but I think a lot of this pick is going to it's going to tell us I think this pick is going to tell us a lot about how this team feels about what's going on with Reuben Foster and what they might know from behind the scenes about how that investigate how that most recent investigation is going and their feelings about how likely he is to be suspended or face any discipline from the league. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a guy like Roquan Smith can fill, you know, uh, depending on, on, on if you do believe that you can get Reuben Foster back at some point, there's absolutely no way he's going to avoid suspension at this point. Uh, but if, <laughs> I guess so, but, right? But if you, can, if you can see a guy who can be multiple, uh, a guy who could play Will uh, in their front, a guy like Roquan Smith who you know that uh, you can rely on from a, from a tool standpoint, from a speed standpoint, from a flying to the football standpoint, I think that you've got to make a contingency play. And, uh, and Roquan Smith, if he's there at number nine, uh, would certainly be in the running uh, to, to really replace what was a talented player and in, a, in, in unfortunate circumstance, uh, at least for the 49ers. We knew that this guy had off-field issues before the draft last year. It's why he fell. Uh, the Niners believed in his skill set as a run and chase big-time thumper, uh, and at the same time, you could see the same thing in Roquan Smith. If you can get past a little bit of his size, I think the, t- the league in, in general is going to more undersized move guys, uh, guys that can line up uh, on tight ends, play in space, play coverage on, on running backs. That's vital in today's game. Uh, so I think from a, a, a fit standpoint, Roquan Smith can can work there whether or not you've got Reuben Foster there on roster or not. And I also wouldn't rule out taking a cornerback. Uh, from their, from their uh, depth chart, you know, they did sign Richard Sherman to a, a really to a prove-it deal. Uh, but beyond that, they've, they definitely have their work cut out for them in the secondary to improve on that porous pass defense. Uh, so that we probably believe that they will go uh, defense with that pick, likely in the back uh, back seven players, and in that case, Roquan Smith, if he's available, would be too enticing to pass up at number nine. All right, and yeah, so, and so we move on to the Raiders next. To me, this is a kind of a, you know, I think that they need help at linebacker. Uh, you know that they need help 
all over the defense. But to me, when I look at this, I'm kind of thinking that Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame, um, I think he'll be the first tackle off the board. I think this might be where he goes here at the back end of the top 10. You have Donald Penn, who's old. I don't know the exact injury that he's coming off of, but I believe he's either 35 or 36 years old. Um, They've kind of gotten by on borrowed time with that offensive line during this time that they were supposed to kind of be a dominant force. Uh, they, you know, some good pieces there on the interior, but they're at the, you know, like I said, the left tackle. You got Donald Penn, who's old. At the right tackle, who is that? Alexander, Vidal Alexander. Uh, Vidal Alexander, yep. Who sucks? So at that, at this point, you know, even if you can count on Donald Penn for another year, you can get Mike McGlinchey in there at the right tackle. Um, come in and start immediately, and then the, the succession plan is to you know move him over there as just a cornerstone kind of bookend, a blindside protector for Derek Carr for the years moving forward over there at left tackle. That would be who I would slot over there. I noticed here that uh, maybe you think that Tremaine Edmonds could be of interest as well if he did fall. Clearly, uh, you know the linebacker core outside of Khalil Mack could certainly use some overhauling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I totally see a potential for Mike McGlinchey. This is probably his ceiling. Um, and there have definitely been some reports uh, that just based off of the lack of depth at the tackle position that some guys might get moved up boards and, and slide and slot into the top 10. Uh, this is probably Mike McGlinchey's ceiling in terms of... It has of, to be uh, a ceiling. No one else is going to take McGlinchey over uh, earlier than this. Exactly. And and there's very good reason uh, that Oakland might not have him rated as high as some other guys on the board. Uh, Potentially another linebacker, uh, potentially a a cornerstone nose tackle like Vita Vea. Uh, So this team really is probably going to stick to their board when it comes to this pick. Uh, My guess is it looks something like Roquan Smith, Terrell Edmonds, Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike McGlinchey and then Marcus Davenport uh, could all be in play, and as well as Vita Vea. So, to be honest with you, with with Oakland's pick, you know they really lost out when they lost that coin flip uh, with San Fran because they've got similar types of targets. Uh, if Roquan Smith's on on the board there at 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 nine, uh, that could have been an, a Raiders target had they have won the coin flip. Uh, so it's interesting to see how they'll react. Uh, and it's, you know, certainly Reggie McKenzie in the past has been a very unpredictable uh, slot in the first round of drafts to figure oh, yeah. out which route they've been going. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go, going all the way back to, to the Darius Hayward the, Bay pick, uh, it, it, they've got a plethora of head scratchers based off of uh, board uh, or based off of the consensus board, whether it's uh, Carl Joseph at 15 or, or Gary on Conley or the last year. kid that sucked. It's now uh, on DJ the Lions. Hayden. Yeah, yep. exactly. So, you know, these picks early with Oakland, you never know who they're targeting. They, their board looks a lot different than yours. Um, so in, in this case, I'm going to go with uh, a guy who I think that they're going to covet a guy like Terrell Edmonds. Uh, and I could see Roquan Smith being on the board as well. And, and certainly if Mike, if those two <laughs> guys keep, are off the you board, keep Ter- you keep saying Terrell Edmonds, it's his brother, uh, Tr- Tremaine I, Edmonds. <laughs> yeah. I can't. <laughs> Keep talking about his brother. You know, his yeah. brother's a player, too, now. Yeah, no, uh, he is. He is. He, he is can play. Sure. He'd probably go in the second it, or third. It would, be, it, 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 it would be good. Hey, it would be very Reggie McKenzie-like to take Terrell, T- Terrell Edmonds there. Exactly. It might actually be a Freudian slip of my yeah. scouting reports. <laughs> So, all right, so that's, so that's the Raiders. And then we can just round it out with these last two because they involve Miami and Buffalo who are set to be involved with these trades. I think that we know if, if, if this falls to where Buffalo traded up to get Josh Allen and no other trades occurred and Josh Rosen falls to the Miami Dolphins here, I think that that's an insta-call. That's what they're going to run up to the ballot or run up to the um, – whatever run up with their cards and and turn it in to get josh rosen we know that in the scenario where if the dolphins traded up with denver to get rosen that denver in this spot i think is going to take denzel ward um uh, out of the, the the corner out of ohio state and then i mean that's basically that's basically how you see it right like the, that's yeah exactly kind of the, that's kind of exactly how it would go down exactly and then, I, yep and then um, did you want to add anything else with that pick 11? Yeah, I, I think that Miami could be in a situation where they stand pat and just kind of see how the board plays out. They, you know, they have 
played that reactive card in the past where, you know, two years ago they, they had no business uh, seeing Laramie Tunsil on the board and they took him. Uh, so we could see Miami go a bunch of different ways. Uh, if they do make that trade, Josh Rosen is definitely a guy they covet. I know that they also like Baker Mayfield, but Josh Rosen as a target, if you can get him at 5-6 or like some reports suggest, he could fall to 11 if teams are that concerned uh, with the all-field stuff. So really, Miami is looking to move up or, or to take that quarterback. And if they don't, Denzel Ward, Roquan Smith, uh, even Vita Vea are all in play at 11. I like this. Uh, so at, at 12, if it's Denver trading back to 12 with Buffalo to pick up picks 12 and 21, again, I think in this spot, if Denzel Ward is there, they take Denzel Ward. Um, but if it was the Cleveland pick from the weird three-way trade, which sent the first, the first overall pick to Buffalo, the second overall pick to Cleveland, the fourth overall pick to the Giants, and now Cleveland re-picks up that 12th overall pick from the from the bills right um i like that that you were kind of sniffing around the idea of that's where a minka fitzpatrick goes and the reason i like it is because the cleveland browns as everybody knows last year was absolutely murdered by opposing tight ends and slot wide receivers i think that whenever people say i don't know what to think about minka fitzpatrick because he he's slated to play out of the slot and he played for and you know you wonder why Nick Saban played him out of the slot whenever Nick Saban is basically the best coach of DBs in all of the land. He knows exactly what these guys are best at, exactly how to use them best. Only 12 snaps last year at outside corner for Minka Fitzpatrick. They just liked him best in the slot. And guess what? College football is just like the pros, man. You play a ton of nickel. You know, you play a ton of dime, like even. Uh, You're seeing more, at least in the Big 12, you're seeing a lot more, like three cornerbacks and three safeties on the field at the same time, with one of those safeties being more of a box guy that can also play a little bit of overhang linebacker so I think that Minka Fitzpatrick here to the Browns would be one I think that would be one hell of a uh, haul for them to start out especially considering the picks that they would have uh, picked up just by moving down that one spot to come out of these uh, two picks with Josh Allen who they like not necessarily that I like and then also come out with the Minka Fitzpatrick that could be a real difference maker on their defense for an area that they were just bleeding at last year Absolutely. I, I think I agree with everything you, you hit you hit on right there, especially, you know, let's not forget with Cleveland. They did not fire Paul D. Podesta. They did not fire the analytics staff. Those guys are still in the building. Now, I think it's the ultimate decision. Uh, draft day decisions are going to come down to John Dorsey listening to his new assistant general manager, Elliot Wolf, uh, listening to Alonzo Highsmith. So you got the, the old Green Bay Packers trio back together, and they're mm-hmm. certainly going to listen to these coaches. Uh, But they're also going to take into account what these analytics guys are saying. And what it says is, yes, it it helps to get a premier player at the top of the draft, but trading down can get you more value in the future. And to make this trade, uh, it's certainly possible to see them move down to pick at 2, 12, 21, and maybe even get next year's first round pick out of it, all in a place where you can then draft uh, guys that uh, at premium positions so that's the other thing that's what the other analytics side of this is drafting guys at premium positions early in the draft and a make of Fitzpatrick a guy you could play nickel and shore up that uh, that slot coverage uh, a weakness that really played them last year would be a huge upgrade uh, this is definitely Fitzpatrick's area I think he can go as high as uh, potentially five to Denver, but and as low as thirteen to Washington, and you put all that together. Fitzpatrick, if he's there at twelve, would certainly be in play if Cleveland does move down to Buffalo's pick. He is Mike Band. Mike, I, I don't. What is your new Twitter these days? Where, where can people follow you? M Band NFL. M Band NFL. He's our boy Mike Band. You know him if you're a member of Roster Watch Nation. You've, you've heard him. Uh, keep an eye out at rosterwatch.com. We'll have some cool stuff coming from Mike, not only uh, for, the, for here this week and in the week leading up into the draft, but also as we get closer into NFL season, Mike always has something new cooking. Uh, this year is absolutely no different. So we're excited about all the new things that we have going on with Mike over there at rosterwatch.com and certainly everything that he has going on in the world of analytics a huge up-and-comer in that space. So make sure and give him a follow. That's, that's at MBandNFL. Mike, I got this little baby boy starting to act like a little creep, sucking his thumbs, wetting his pants, 
trying to do the milk dance. So I'm going to have to get out of here. Uh, but thanks, thanks, as always, for coming on, brother. This was a lot of fun. You got it, man. Talk to you soon. All right, so there, there he is, Mike Band. So for Mike Band, for Byron Lambert, for the Trash Man, for the Robot Genius, and all of Roster Watch Nation, this has been the Roster Watch Podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com. We will see you next time. Next time.